if you're currently in a job and you're wondering this exact same thing, are there opportunities for professional development or career advancement? One of the things that you can just literally do is ask what are the opportunities for professional development? I've mm. done it many, right. many times and I've been responded to positively when those requests came in. Mm -hmm. And obviously we know in public health and global health, there are limited funding opportunities mm -hmm. and monies to go around. However, there's different strategic ways you can go about this. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health. From the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not necessarily represent any of the agencies or organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Hello everyone, my name is LaShawn, your host for this episode, alongside my co-host Gordon. In this episode, we'll be discussing red flags in public health jobs. As job seekers, it's important to be aware of the warning signs and job opportunities and make informed decisions that align with your career goals and values. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore the top red flags to look out for when considering a public health job. Let's get started. There's a lot of red flags. All right. Should we talk about 5, 10, 20? Let's start 30? with 5 for now. We'll start with 5? Yeah. Okay. One of the red flags for me that I look out for is a lack of a sense of a clear goal of what is expected in the organization, as well as what you're expected to do from your role. So how do you find this information out? If you're lucky enough to go through the job search process, get an interview, and then you get to the end of your interview and they say, do you have any questions for us? As much as you really want to say no and anxiously or nervously end the call, you need to hang in there and ask some key important questions to identify red flags. If you come with specific questions prepared ahead of time, you're able to decipher if there's a lack of direction for your department that you're going to be employed in, as well as the organization. And one of the things to look out for, and we talk about this a lot, LaShawn, is tying that back to the job posting. Mm. So sometimes you see the job title, it says something coordinator, and then it has 20 different things that you're responsible for that don't make strategic sense. So that's where you know you're entering a scope creep position and when you start the job, it's likely that you might even get more tasks that you were unaware of when you started the job. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the flags for me. So let's dig in a bit deeper. What oh. about, yeah, what happens if your nerves kick in during that job interview and you don't ask that question and you suddenly find yourself starting on a Monday morning at your new job and you're like, what's going on here? What can you do? It's too late. All right. It's over. No, no, it's not. You're done. It's not too you late. Quit. But so, so I'll answer your question. But before I do that, the the way you prepare for those interviews in situations where you might expect to be more nervous than you normally are is just to write them down ahead of time. Mm. Connect with someone who works there. Connect with a peer who might be able to workshop some questions with you. And that way, even if you're nervous and you blank at the end, you've gone through a brutal 
90 minute interview or 60 minute interview, you have your notepad there with your questions. So that's the first thing I'd say. Once you start, so even if you did ask a question in the interview and you start your first day of the job, you would still ask essentially the same question because you might be reporting to someone different than who interviewed you. You might be working with an additional manager, whatever the case might be. So it's important to reset those expectations once you start the position and having your first sit down meeting with your reporting manager and just find out what is expected of you in the short term and the long term. And one of the things I like to ask about is what what are those factors that drive whether a project changes course or not that's one of the questions i like to ask Hmm. and you might be wondering why we consider this a red flag but now mm-hmm. imagine yourself in the situation you've been in this job for a year or so and you're just wondering every day what what do I do? I get pulled in this direction, that direction, every single direction, and I don't work on anything specifically, which might be a good thing, and it might mm-hmm. be interesting to some people, but if you were hired and you wanted to apply to this job in the first place, and now you're doing everything that wasn't on the job description, you found yourself in a very deep predicament. Mm-hmm. What red flag comes to mind for you? One of the red flags that I would say is this overall organizational resistance to evidence-based practices and the lack of commitment almost Mm. to shout out to candela we just spoke to her in a few episodes ago about evidence-based public health practice yeah and in addition to that the lack of commitment to continuously improve Mm. for me what that shows is multiple things Mm. right when we're talking about public health we're talking about evidence-based we're talking about everything we do, whether it's health promotion, health initiatives, programming, that information must be based on epidemiology or evidence-based principles from the literature or from proven methods and established methods. Mm-hmm. Now, if your organization is going willy-nilly and just trying things from random, that's not a good look because Public health's foundation is based on evidence, and we need to commit ourselves as individuals and organizations to hold true to that commitment and make sure that everything we're doing and the commitment we have to our communities and populations are grounded in that informed professional practice. Okay, so I have a question for you on that. Now, you've described it in a sense of when you start the job, that's a red flag that can stand out to you. Is there a way for us to be proactive in identifying that specific type of red flag before we take a job? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think these red flags that we're mentioning are true for people starting jobs or currently in jobs Mm. for like many years. Mm, But to that, I would say, if you're an individual who hasn't even got the job yet, talk to people at the organization, set up meetings with them in coffee chats ask them about these different things like what kind of projects do you work on how are these projects created what does the planning stage look like who's involved in the planning stage you know you could ask them these very specific questions to understand that and you could look at their outcomes what are some of their track records at these projects what has it resulted in so those are some ways to get the upper hand on that you took the words right out of my mouth a big part of evidence-based public health practice is knowledge sharing and evidence sharing 
Mm-hmm. So if you're knowledge sharing and you're sharing your evidence, those should be publicly accessible on whatever company website exists. So the way to find out the methodology about the projects, how those projects were evaluated, and some of those decisions that shape the project, ideally those reports are publicly available through a Google mm-hmm. search or searching their website. And you can reference those reports in your interview as well. It'll make mm-hmm. you sound really smart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the second part of that was the lack of commitment to continuous improvement. So we've been in these situations where we're working for an employee, you see the process and the way things are done at that organization. And in the back of your mind, you're wondering, why do they keep doing things this way when you know there's clearly a better way of doing things? And if they consistently make the same mistakes, That, to me, is a flag that this organization does not take continuous improvement seriously. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, again, how do you know that? So, questions in your interview. One of the biggest game changers, perhaps, in the last century has been that pandemic that's happened. And you would expect that a lot of organizations have responded to that situation and have implemented changes that are better for the work of their staff and the clients that they serve. So if you're sensing a bit of rigidity going into those conversations, like, hey, how come people never work from home during the pandemic? And the positions there that you're looking for are fully capable of working from home. That might be a red flag, too, that they're quite resistant to change and even improving and reassessing mm-hmm. ways that were things that were done a certain way in the past and not willing to try to implement quality improvement on those Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. What about another one? What's another f- red flag that comes to mind? One of the big ones, and this is a very tricky one because you have to be nimble in the way you go through your investigation and your discovery. So what I'm referring to here is those limited opportunities for professional development and career development. Okay. So A lot of times when people go through their journey, academics, they maybe have previous experience in a job, they're looking to continually develop new skills and perhaps looking into leadership roles, right? What you ideally want to find out is on the company page, maybe on LinkedIn, the people that have been working at the organization for a long time, do you notice that their job title changed? Right. That's a good one to look at. How mm-hmm. long did it take so and so to go from this to this? Yeah. That gives you a sense of how willing they are to promote from within. The way you find that out outside of that, obviously, interview, you're interviewing your future potential employer as much as they're interviewing you. And the way you would find this out in an interview is not by saying, hey, is there opportunities for me to get a management job? The reason you don't ask that question is because you can wrongly imply that you have no interest in the position that you're about to take and Mm -hmm. you're just waiting for an opportunity to move up. So you essentially red flag your own self by doing that. So don't Mm -hmm. do that. The way you would ask instead is to say, hey, LaShawn, how long have you been working at X? In that answer, LaShawn might take you through the process of when he first started the job and maybe the position that he's in now, and you can get a sense of, okay, LaShawn was there for five years, and he took on two different roles. That sounds really good. That's how you would ask the question. Ask a question about 
What do you enjoy most about working in your current position? And in their answer, they might say, I love that we are dedicated as an organization to professional development. They might give you a few examples and you've gotten the answer without asking a question that can send a red flag. So that's Mm -hmm. one very important thing you need to know. Absolutely. And one of the things as well, if you're currently in a job and you're wondering this exact same thing, are there opportunities for professional development or career advancement? One of the things that you can just literally do is ask what are the opportunities for professional development? I've Mm. done it many, many times and I've been responded to positively when those requests came in. Mm -hmm. And obviously we know in public health and global health, there are limited funding opportunities Mm -hmm. and monies to go around. However, there's different strategic ways you can go about this. So for example, if you have a job that requires you to do a lot of Excel work and do manipulations on Excel, and you don't know all advanced functions, you can ask your employer, what are the opportunities to get better at this? If they don't provide you the funding to take a course, what you can do is ask, hey, is it possible if I could take two hours every week in the work week to dedicate to learning more Excel functions through a free YouTube video or something like that? Just having that time carved out for you where you're dedicating that to professional development is a good sign. And just thinking about your employer, it shows that they care and value your time enough and see that you want to develop these skills to perform better at your job. And that's a question you can ask at any time, LaShawn. You could ask Mm. uh, before the job, you can ask while interviewing, and then you can ask your first day on the job. You can say, Mm. thank you for this opportunity and you're realizing what I can add to the team. I always look for ways to improve myself and I know in the job description it said I'd be working a lot with Excel sheets and I think I have room to grow. What are the opportunities that you might have that I can take advantage of to make me more of a competent person on the team? Mm -hmm. Right. They'll appreciate that. The answer will be, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. And they'll say, yes, maybe there's no such opportunities, but because you're so eager and keen, they'll make an opportunity for you. Or the worst that they'll say is, sorry, no. And maybe that's a red flag when they say just straight up say no. Exactly. And make sure that it's done on company time and not on your own time. Mm. Okay. 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 So. Fair enough. The other red flag that I've noticed is it has to do with insufficient resources to the extent that organizations are cutting off and making staff reductions to do certain things within their organization. Mm. Thus, there's a lot of turnover. They don't seem to have a lot of permanent staff. Uh, Just in terms of your career, maybe as an early to mid career professional, many people don't necessarily want to be in a position where their job is on the line every day and you have a lot of uncertainty. So that's why I would say that. Yeah. And for the practical perspective on this, the best bet to identifying maybe what the more stable opportunities are is the type of industry. So government versus nonprofits to some degree tend to be more stable. However, when political decisions are made, that can impact employment at the governmental level. So it's not one size fits all, but those are some of the things to consider. Is it a unionized environment? If it's a unionized environment or specific 
regulations around how your salary will be scaled up and your protections as far as your employment with an organization and things like that. If that's something that's important to you, those are some things that you could look to as part of being an employee for a governmental organization. Yeah, exactly. And Gordon, do you have one last red flag that you want to share with us? Yeah, there's one that this applies to at the individual level, at the team level, at an organizational level, and that's a lack of collaboration with partner organizations. Mm, why is that important? Or colleagues. And essentially, what we talk about in public health is breaking down silos, interdisciplinary mm. teams. Interdisciplinary teams don't necessarily mean you are employed for the same organization. It means that there is a group dedicated to a specific type of work of which there's multiple different expertise sitting on those groups, whether it's interagency or intra-agency, okay? So this is important because if you value making a tangible impact in the community, that's almost impossible if there are poor partnerships in place. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I also just think about when you're having partnerships within your organization, it really goes to show that you are making public health interdisciplinary mm. and you are leaning on experts within the communities that have, might have different relationships with the people you serve and might know them better. So having that more collaborative approach to your public health design, planning, programming goes a long way. Absolutely. And it makes you feel like a community makes you feel like a part of something much, much, much bigger. Absolutely. And that's a wrap for our episode. I thought we were doing 20. Nope. We're going to do five. Okay, just five that's for it. now. We don't want to yep. scare people away from taking on professional opportunities. Nope. We have to speak the truth, though. We have to speak the truth. We have to speak the truth. Always. We're truth, we're truth tellers. Always. Okay. Okay. So we hope that this episode has shed some light on the common warning signs to be aware of when pursuing a career in public health. And remember, knowledge is power, and being aware of these red flags can help you make a more well-informed decision about your future in this field. And follow us on LinkedIn. Follow us on LinkedIn mm. and give us a five-star rating on our podcast. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.